0: Okay, so for those of you who don't know, I'm from Texas. I actually moved here almost exactly three years ago to the freezing cold north. My hands are super freezing today. Um, Back when I was still in Texas, in the same church that Rudy's from, um, I went on a summer mission trip with my pastor's wife, Kristen Hagen, and her then 16-year-old son, Madison. Madison. Um, we went into Thailand and Myanmar. On that trip, we rode on a plane, on a, in a car, on a bus, in a boat, and in a mud tractor. So lots and lots of traveling on that trip. Um, the Hagen family, they have this travel game that they like to play. It's called the question game. And it's basically exactly what it sounds like. Someone will ask a question, and then everyone has to answer truthfully. So kind of like truth or dare without the dare option. So just a question, okay? So I remember on that trip, I don't remember if we were on a plane or a bus, but I remember Madison asking, um, so if they made a movie about your life, who would you want to play you? Okay, so before I tell you our answers, why don't you tell me some of yours? movie about your life, who do you want to play you? Paul Red was that you Josh Peters? No? no? Who was that? <laughs> okay. Who else? What? Morgan Freeman. Morgan <laughs> Freeman. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Who else? Some girls. Jennifer okay. Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. Yeah, Best actress, right? Okay. Anyone else? Who? Jodie Foster. Jody Foster, yeah, that's our generation, right? (laughs) Yeah. Anyone else? Gabby Rivera. Oh, yes. Our own Gabby Rivera, where are you? Um Okay. Okay, so um Madison's answer. So he's like, at this time he's 16, he's probably 6 foot tall, 120 pounds. So skinny little guy. His answer was um, that he wanted Russell Crowe to play him. That's exactly what I did. I I tried not to to laugh out loud because he's, yeah, he had a lot lot of weightlifting and growing up to do before Russell Crowe could in any way resemble him or vice versa, whatever. Um, so I think I—I I don't think any of us are that different from Madison, really. We want the best actress or the most gorgeous uh, girl to play us or whatever. I think my answer was J Lo, even though I—I look—I look next to nothing like her, other than we're both Hispanic. Um, so so yeah, it's just natural. You want you know the people's most beautiful woman uh, or the toughest guy to play you in a movie, right? So the little woman that we're going to learn about today, she was different. So in 1958, they made a movie about her life. Um, and the Jennifer Lawrence or the Emma Stone of her day, Ingrid Bergman, was chosen to play her. And Gladys did not like this, actually. She even wrote Ingrid Bergman a letter and said, I do not want you to play me. Um, so, so Ingrid still, still played the part. But um, <laughs> one of one of the reasons why it bothered her so much was because the movie itself was full of. I mean, it told a lot of the true stories from her life, but it also embellished some. Like you always want a romance, so they put in a romance where Gladys didn't have a romance in her life. And then also, um, Ingrid Bergman was five nine, blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, Gladys Aylward um, was four foot ten, and <laughs> yeah. Even shorter than you, Maria. Um, so, yeah, she was she was four foot ten and had dark hair and dark eyes. So she just did not did not like that about the movie. So we're gonna return to Ingrid and Gladys at the end of my talk today. But before we do that, let's just spend some time finding out why Hollywood decided to make a movie about her life anyway. Okay. So with any good movie, you need some background, right? So Gladys was born in 1902 in England. Um, she was born to a working-class family. As a little girl, when she was little, she used to wish that she had long, flowing blonde hair and blue eyes and that she'd be really tall. But instead, her hair stayed dark, of course, um, and she stopped growing at four foot 10. so I'm five2, so probably somewhere here, right? Huh? Yeah. Right. Um, so so yeah, so she, um, yeah. So anyway, she, she was born into a working class family. Um, so at the age of 14, she had to stop going to school and, and start working. So she worked as a parlor maid. So any Downton Abbey fans in here? Yeah. Okay, so I picture her life kind of like Downton Abbey. Like she was a little parlor maid working in Downton Abbey. And she had one great dream in life. And it was not to be a missionary. She uh, wanted to be an actress, and so she spent all her her money, she would save up money and take drama classes, and at nighttime, she'd go to her, her little classes and stuff, and that's what she wanted to do. And then one night, um, inexplicably, even to herself, she walked into a meeting kind of like this, and her life was changed forever. Um, she'd gone to church all her life, but it was in that moment that God really grabbed a hold of her life, and she gave her life to her Savior. Um... So a short time after that, she um, read an article about China that made a deep impression on her. And then she later wrote this, which should be, oh, sorry, Miranda. So the next slide, there's the movie, okay, that's uh, Ingrid Bergman, although that's not a great picture of her. She's really a gorgeous woman. Okay, next one. <laughs> okay, so, so she had read an article about China, um, and this is what she said. <clears throat> To realize that millions of Chinese had never heard of Jesus Christ was, to me, a staggering thought. And I felt sure we ought to do something about it. Okay, so she decided, well, I'm going to apply to a missionary society. So she applied to China Inland Mission, and she studied with them for about three months. And at the end of that three months, they rejected her. Um, They just thought she wasn't smart enough to learn the Mandarin language. I've, I lived in China for a year, and they can tell you I know nothing. Um, so, uh, and I have a graduate degree. Um, she left school at 14. So maybe that's true, maybe not. We'll see what happens in the story. But um, she, yeah, so they, they rejected her. So her plans were in ruins. So instead, um, they suggested she work for this missionary couple. So she went back to housekeeping. So she worked as a maid for this missionary couple for a while. And then after that, she ended up working, um, rescuing women out of prostitution. She did that for a while. Um, but she was just haunted by um, this idea of, of China. So then um, she... Sorry. <clears throat> So then she, she began to try to convince all her friends that they should go. Okay? So she just tried and tried to convince everyone that they should go. And she, um, so there was this one time where she was with her brother and she tried and failed to get, get him to go. And so he popped his head back, in the cor- back around the corner and said, well, why don't you go? Um, so she, at that moment, I heard her another talk that she a talk that she did a long time ago, and she said, from that moment on, she decided she'd never try to push something off on someone else that God had pressed on her to do. And I think it's really easy for us to do. We want to push it off to someone else. So she decided to move back to London and try to save money to go to China. So she went to London, where she um, worked as a, as a housemaid. And I'm guessing she can make more money in London doing that than, um, than she was doing working for the organization that was helping prostitutes. So she was doing that. And then, um, um, so she's doing that, trying to save money. But it was going to take her about three years to save money to go to China. Um, so she... Um, and, but she just, she just couldn't get it out of her head. So I think the next slide, she talks about it again. So if you can flip to that, Miranda. Okay. So the thought of China tormented me. Always it was China. I could not rid myself of the idea that God wanted me there. So even though she'd been rejected by the Missionary Society, she had uh, little money to her name. Um, she decided she was going to tr- try. Um, so she had, she had been back... Um, Actually, sorry, this was right before she moved back to be a housemaid. She was, um, she was really impressed by Genesis 12, 1 and 2. So if you can flip to that one. Okay. So she was reading this, um, having a quiet time. And it says, uh, The Lord had said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Or in the Gladys L word version, she just heard, get out. So she felt like God wanted her to get out of England and and get to China. So then she's working as a housemaid. And so she wasn't just working the normal days. Like on her days off, she would also work as a housemaid. Sometimes she would work all night long at parties to try to save money um, to be able to go. And um, there was one moment in her biography where she talks about she was sitting, reading the word, and she just felt like God was was convicting her to just offer all to him. So kind of like that song we sang before, Take My Life. Um, so she just sat there, and she, she only had a few things to her name. So she had her Bible, so she offered God her Bible. She had her hands, so she offered God her hands and her feet, her body, um, her life for him. And then she had, I think it's 14 pence, um, which was, oh, two and a half pence, actually, which is the equivalent of two cents. So that's all the money that she had in the world, and she offered it to God. And then, and then started working, trying to provide her way into China. Um, so like I said, it was supposed to take about uh, three years for her to earn her fare to China. But she, through a series of blessings, she ended up earning it er, um, more quickly. Um, and, then, and as she was going, she, um, so it would cost more money to go by boat, so she decided to go by train, so by the Trans-Siberian Railway. So as she would earn money, she would go and, and hand it off to them. So she was like paying as she, as she went. At this point, you have to think, she had, she had no clue where she was going, what she was going to do. She knew no one in China, but she's putting money down to be able to go. So can you imagine doing that? I can't imagine doing that, like not knowing where I'm going to go. So finally, she had, had paid enough, she had enough money, and so she paid for her fare to go. Um, and so, but she still had nowhere to go um, so then one day, about a week after she 'd paid it off, she through a friend of a friend, she heard of a woman um, who had Um, been working in China for years and years as a missionary. And then her husband died, so she went ahead and came back to Scotland, but she just couldn't settle in Scotland. So then um, she moved back to China, and she'd been working there by herself. 73-year-old little old woman uh, in the middle of nowhere China working. And so this friend of a friend of a friend told her about Mrs. Lawson, and uh, Mrs. Lawson had been praying. She had just written a letter, and she'd been praying for God to lay it on the heart of some young person to come and help her in China, and when Gladys heard that, she just said, yeah, that's me. I, I'm going to go, so now she had her plane ticket, I mean her train ticket, and she, had, she knew who she was going to go to help, Um, So she was ready to go. So she went home for a few days. At this point, Gladys did not even have a suitcase. Okay? So no suitcase. So one was donated to her, and then someone else donated a fur coat. She had no money. She had actually spent all her money just to pay her passage to to China, um, and so she had no money, so friends also donated food for her, and so she packed her little suitcase with, with food, and then um, I read this biography years ago, like 10 years ago, I read it again recently, but, um, and the, the, for some reason it just stuck with me that she had her little tea kettle, just like a good British woman, so she had her little suitcase, her little tea kettle, um, and her fur coat, and she was, was headed off for China. Um, so, so yeah, I just picture her, the little little bitty woman, holding all that stuff, saying goodbye to family and friends that she may never see again. I know some of you have studied abroad and stuff, but you had a, a round trip ticket, and you have Skype and you have Facebook and all these things to get in touch with people. She was saying no, perhaps forever. Um, so there she went, um, off across. Um, Europe, then across Russia, Siberia, and into China, although it didn 't go quite as smoothly as she expected. Um, I wanted to take some time and tell you more about her adventures that as she went, but we don 't really have time so i 'll just say there was a war going on between Japan and Russia at the time. There uh, was one night that she spent sleeping outside in the Siberian winter with wolves howling in the distance and bullets flying. Um, and she had to to sleep out there. She was detained by the Russians twice, um, and she narrowly escaped. They wanted her to stay, and they wanted her to work at a factory there. Um, And so she literally... She, there was a Japanese boat that she was able to get onto but before she could get on it the Russian um, soldiers came and they grabbed her coat and she shoved she had a one pound note that someone had given her um, as she had been traveling so she shoved it at the, at the Russian soldier and was able to get away leaving a part of her fur coat in his hands she had to like literally throw her luggage on and run up and then the boat's pulling away so just, just crazy I don't know why they didn't put that in the movie because I think that would have been good but they didn't put it in the movie okay <laughs> So so five and a half weeks later, after all these detainments and all this stuff, she finally arrives in China, in Yangcheng. I'm probably saying it wrong. Ivy, you can correct me. Um, so it's a small town. And uh, coincidentally, when I looked this up, I realized she, she lived about two, about two hours away from um, where I lived in China. So that was just really special to me to think about. Oh, I kind of know the area that, that she was in. Um, so she got there. And when she got there, she realized why God had made her four foot 10 and with dark hair and dark eyes. As she looked around, everyone looked just like her. Um, so she was very grateful that God, in his wisdom knew um, how to help her blend in a little bit better. But right away, um, she was challenged to trust God again when she got there with her first job. Um, when she arrived, Mrs. Lawson had bought a big house, and she wanted to set up an inn, okay? And uh, she explained that the muleteers, so think truckers of the day. So like truckers, they they had these mules, um, and they would carry supplies through into the different parts of China. Um, So they wanted to set up this inn that would be kind of like a bed and breakfast um, for the muleteers. um, And they would feed them, give them a place to sleep for the night. And then um, at nighttime, they would tell, Mrs. Lawson would tell stories, Bible stories about Jesus. Um, so, but for Gladys, remember she doesn't speak Chinese at this point. So her job was to take care of the mules. Um, and the first part of her job was she had to go out and um, grab the mules, the harness of the mule's mouth at the the lead mule, um, and lead it into the inn. And usually, by this point, the muleteers were so tired that as long as they got into the inn, they would, they would stay there. But I don't know about you, but I'd be kind of scared to stick my hand right on the, the mule's mouth and, you know, and pull it in. So Gladys was a little bit scared. But she learned how to say, um, I asked my Chinese students how to say this, and they said it differently, so I think the dialect of, of Gladys's dialect must have been different. But it's something like, uh, mayo becha, mayo goodza, How, 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 lie, 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 which means we have no bugs, we have no fleas, good, 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 come, come, come. So those were the first things she learned in Chinese. And she would grab the mule and then pull it in. And then um, afterwards, so that the owners could rest and could listen to the stories that Mrs. Lawson told, she would go and clean the mules. So they're like grimy, dirty, gross, and she would brush them and clean them. And that was her first job in China. so I tell you this story for um, two reasons. Um, one is that there are countries or parts of the world today where you can't just walk in and start telling stories about Jesus. Um, a lot of missionaries have to go in as engineers or nurses or teachers um, to have a valid government-approved reason for being there. So we call these creative access countries because you have to be creative in how you gain access to the people. Um, and so that's just, I think it was a brilliant plan that Mrs. Lawson used. She didn't necessarily have to use that plan, but she took something that was a need um, and then took care of that need. Just like now today, missionaries will take needs to like learn English or needs for hospitals or whatever and meet that need. And then um, through meeting a felt need, then eventually get to meet the spiritual needs of the, of the people as well. The second reason I tell you um, this story is because Rudy has been talking a lot about every member and minister, right? Um, so every one of us has something to give in church. It's not just um, leave everything to the pastors and to your home group leaders. Um, and so even though um, I know, I hope that someday some of you may go to a creative access country and be a missionary, that day is not today. But today, you can certainly wrangle a mule for Jesus. It's one of the things on your comment card, which Rudy will talk about later, so you don't need to pull it out necessarily, but... Um, you may know what that means. It may mean setting up chairs before a combined home group. It may mean bringing snacks to home group. It may mean leading a discussion. <laughs> or you may not know what that means. It may mean a conversation with your home group leader or with Rudy or with someone else to ask how you can serve Cornerstone. Um, and you probably won't have to clean dirty mules so it can't be, can't be that bad, right? Um, okay, so let's keep going on to, with Gladys' story. Um, so after about a year, so just one year in China, she was ready to tell the stories herself. Like she had mastered enough of the language where she could she could do that, which is amazing because no one thought she could do it. Um, and coincidentally, right around that time, Mrs. Lawson got really sick and she passed away. So Gladys continued running the inn for a while, but she soon discovered that without Mrs. Lawson's extra income that she had, um, that she couldn 't um, they couldn 't afford the inn, and so at this point she started praying about what God might have for her next, um, so she was praying about whether to leave or what she should do and Then one day, um, the Mandarin <coughs> or the uh, government official in the area, he came to talk to her. he wanted to offer her a job, um, and the main job qualification that she had was her big feet um, so that, at that time in China. Um t- small feet were greatly prized, um, so much so that women would cripple their daughters' feet, they would fold their their toes over and break their feet to get, achieve this golden lotus, which was 2.75 inches. So ladies, look down at your feet, which are probably nine or ten inches long, and think about them being one third or less of of that size, okay. Um, so I wanted to show pictures of, of this, um, but when, when I was Googling images, I just started crying, so I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So this one, you can kind of see, I mean, her foot's in a, you know, in a shoe, so it's a little bit different, but it's like a, a baby's foot. Um, so as I thought about this... Um, I, I don't think the moms were trying to be malicious or anything. They were just trying to get their daughters a better future um, because wealthy men wanted wives that had these little feet so they would, would break their feet so that they could get, get this type of husband, I guess. Um, and one thing that's really sad, I was listening to an NPR story about this, and it was talking about how, you know, after this time the communists took over and they put a lot of the wealthy people into labor camps, and so these women on these feet, um, I mean, it would be hard as women to do the work of a labor camp anyway, but then with these, these crippled feet, it was, it was really horrible. So um, in 1912, this practice had been outlawed by the government, but... But it was really hard to enforce because the women wanted their, their daughters to have a good future. So they continued to bind the children's feet. So what the Mandarin wanted Gladys to do is he wanted her to be the foot inspector. So he provided um, transportation for her. He provided armed guards for her. He provided food for her so that she could, she could go and inspect feet and make sure that this wasn't happening. So Gladys, before she took the job, She said, I will only take this job if you will let me share about my Jesus. And so he said, he was not a believer, but he said, yes, I I will let you do this. So um, to give you kind of a comparison, this would be like in today's day. I know some of you have, have a heart to end human trafficking. So this would be like in today's time. Some government official in Thailand or Cambodia comes to you and says, can I give you a job? Can I give you money? Can I give you policemen to go with you? And can I give you a car for you to travel into the brothels of Thailand and break up what's going on there? And will you please share Jesus with them while you're at it? Um, so this is amazing. Um, so Gladys talks about this as well. Uh, I had longed to go to China, But never in my wildest dreams had I imagined that God would overrule in such a way that I would be given entrance to every village home, have authority to banish a cruel, horrible custom, have government protection, and be paid to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as I inspected feet. So, crazy that she got to do this. So Gladys worked as a foot inspector, and she spread the gospel throughout villages of China that she would have never gone to had she she not had this job. And there are some great stories in the biography about it, but um, I'm not going to tell them because there are so many great stories from her life. Um, So around this time, so she'd been doing this for years and was very grateful that the Lord had led her to do this, but she also felt very lonely. So... um, I'm going to share a quote with you that she, from Elizabeth Elliot. So Elizabeth Elliot was another missionary. She'd been a missionary to Ecuador. Later, she was a famous author, and she got the chance to meet Gladys. And she and Gladys talked about being single as a missionary. So um, here we go. So this is Elizabeth Elliot talking. She was a no-nonsense and very direct and straightforward kind of woman. She asked God to call a man from England, send him straight out to China, straight to where she was, and have him propose. I can't forget the next line. With a look of even deeper intensity, she shook her little bony finger in my face and said, Elizabeth, I believe God answers prayer. He called him. He called him, but he never came. So, I'm not sure exactly if I agree with her theologically, but I still, (laughs) um, but I admire her faith that she just was so, so trusted God um, in the face of seemingly unanswered prayer. Um, But God did answer her prayer um, for companionship in another way. So, um, one day she was on her way to report to the Mandarin about her foot inspecting work, and on the way, she saw a woman with a, a little girl um, out somewhere outside the building, I guess. And the little girl was looked very, very sick. And so she told the woman, "You need to get her inside. She looks, she looks really sick." Um, and the woman said, "Ah, uh, I don't care if she dies. I'll just buy another one." Um, and then she offered to sell her to Gladys. And uh, she kept trying to, like, bargain with Gladys and get Gladys to buy her, and and Gladys was just appalled. And so she went, and instead of making her report to the Mandarin, who had by now become a good friend of hers, she stomped around the room and told him how upset she was that this could happen in a country like China. And um, he, like any politician would, he said, Well, there's nothing we can do. Um, Until the laws are changed, there's nothing we can do. So Gladys left, and um, she... She was not convinced. She decided there was something she could do. So when she walked outside, the woman was still there um, with the little girl, and she offered to sell her to Gladys again. Um, And then Gladys emptied her pockets. All she had was nine pence, which is about 14 cents today, and it may be a couple dollars back then. And the woman sold her the, the child. Um, and then Gladys gave her another name, but she affectionately called her Ninepence all her life. So she, she took her home. Um, so now Gladys was also a mother. And so then Ninepence got better. And then as, she, as the days went on, she began to bring more children home with her. So soon, Gladys' house was filled with 20-plus children, 20-plus orphans. So now she's a missionary, she's an innkeeper, and uh, a foot inspector, and a mother. So um, she wasn't lonely anymore after that. That's what she says. (laughs) So we'll pick up the story of Gladys and her children um, later. But first, we have to take a detour for another war. So around this time, Japan was engaged in a war with China, part of the Pacific War, part of World War II um, I'm not much of a history buff but if you have questions about the history you can talk to Luke, one of the students I brought with me and Kanan. they're back there um, so, so during this war um, I don't know much about it but like I said, where I was in China was very close to where Gladys was, and so even a couple generations down, I met teachers who still like swore that they hated the Japanese because their grandparents had been forced to flee into the mountains to avoid the war, avoid being killed, or avoid worse. Um, one of the teachers that I met, her her grand uh, her grandmother had dressed up like a boy to um, try to avoid some of the things that happened in war. Um, So they hated the Japanese. So this is part of what Gladys was experiencing. So the the city she was in, the Japanese would take it over, and then the Chinese Nationalist Army would take it over, and then the Japanese would take it over. So every time the Japanese took it over, she would... um, Run into the mountains. And remember, she's not just hiding in the mountains herself. She's hiding in the mountains with those 20 or more kids. And so, inevitably, with war, there's a lot of death. So she ended up with more and more and more kids. Um, Also, the inn became a place... Like a refugee center, so refugees would come in and stay there as well. Um, it became kind of a hospital as well. So Gladys's resume is just getting longer and longer and longer. So missionary, innkeeper, foot inspector, mother, nurse, refugee center director, and then now she's adding another um, thing to her resume: spy. Um so, by this point, she, she knew the Chinese language really well. She felt more Chinese than she felt British, so she became a Chinese citizen, and it was just natural that she would um, work for her country. So they approached her about being a spy, and because she was still traveling to the villages doing her foot inspecting work, she had easy access and she would know like what was going on, and then she would come back and she would report. So she was a little four- foot ten little spy. Um, So, so during this time too, she she continued to use the inn to share stories about about Christ. So this is one of my favorite stories from her biography. so she was one day. She was telling stories to what she thought was just a courtyard full of women. So she's telling the stories about how we've all sinned and we all need a savior. Um, and then you know the women left and stuff. And then this general, he was he was one of the generals from her side, from the Chinese side. Um, he came um, and asked her, how did she know such personal and private things about him? And she was like, I don't know who you are, sir. Sorry. Um, and he he just kept questioning her. He kept swearing at her. And so then he put her under house arrest, gave her no food for three days. Um, so while she was under house arrest, um, she remembered seeing him like somewhere in the corner of the courtyard. So he had been there when she had been talking about how we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Um, so, so after three days, he came back, and he started questioning her again. Um, and because she now remembered that she had said that, she started to share the gospel with him and tell him about um, the salvation we have in Christ. Um, so the next slide. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Okay, so then after hours of talking, hours of reading the Bible, hours of him swearing and running, not running around the room, stomping around the room, whatever, then uh, Gladys says this. Gradually, he quieted down. He quit swearing, and a note of great longing came into his voice. It is impossible for me to be saved, he said at length. So throughout the course of their conversation, it had come to the light. He had confessed how his... um, troop, or whatever you want to call it, that he was in charge of. They, they were supposed to be working for the Chinese Nationalist Army, but they were very much working for themselves. So they would take over a city, they would loot and kill, and so he felt this great sense of shame and a great sense of the weight of his own sin. And he, he wanted salvation, but he didn't think that someone like him deserved salvation. Um, but Gladys, she kept talking to him, and uh, she shared how... Um, how Jesus died for us while we were all yet sinners. Um, and he, he came to know the Lord. Um, and then he was convinced he needed to tell his, his army about, about that. So the next day, he, with Gladys at his side, he shared the gospel with them and told them how they needed to stop killing and looting, and they needed to, to live for Jesus. Um, so then Gladys left, and then the next day the army left, and she didn't hear from him for another two years. And then um, two years later, he showed up, a beggar, uh, half starved to death and half out of his mind. And all he could say was, I belong to Jesus. That was all he could say. I belong to Jesus and I belong to Yangchung, the the town. So that's how he had found his way there. So through the care of Gladys and her friends, um, they found out that what had separated the powerful general from the, uh, the beggar that stood before them. So the very next day, after he'd shared the gospel with, with his troops, they had arrested him, and then for nine months, they starved him, they tortured him, and they beat him. Um, so he had, he had suffered that for nine months. Finally, they were hoping that he would lose his faith, but he didn't. This is a believer of one day. Um, so after nine months of torture, he didn't, he didn't lose his faith. And then finally, one of his soldiers set him free. Um, so then he had to, um, act like a peasant and wander from village to village, um, trying to get what work he could. He was scared the whole time he was going to get captured again and be tortured and beaten again. Um, and even then, like as he went, he would tell what little bit he knew about Jesus to the villages that he went to. Um, and then one day when he was in a village, he got really sick. And whatever disease he got had clouded his mind to the point where he was the man that Gladys saw, where he, he just knew he needed to get back to Chung and he knew that he belonged to Jesus. Um, so, <clears throat> so, yeah, I tell you this story because I think as American Christians, we very easily forget the price that other believers pay around the world um, just to be able to share their faith. Um, and then I also tell you this story because I just, I just pray that we may have faith um, like this, this man. Um, so he lived, he lived another year uh, before he passed away, but his last year, his mind cleared up, and he was really adored by the children and all the believers there, so he had, had a happy um, last year. Okay, so back to Gladys and all those kids. So by this point, um, because of the war, she had accumulated 100 children, okay? So she, she has 100 children with her, yeah, so I can't imagine. Um, so, so she has all these kids. The war is still raging, um, so then someone told her about an orphanage that was further west in Free China, um, so she had to get the children there. And she worked with a guy named Mr. Liu, and uh, so he, took, he was going to take the 100 children over the mountains, and Gladys was going to continue to stay there. So he took the 100 children, and then he was supposed to come back in a month with some money, um, because surely there would be more children that came. Um, but he didn't come back and then in, in that time the war got more intense again and so Gladys had to send the children to the next village so they were, were safe and then um, one of the generals that she spied for came and told her you have got to leave the Japanese are going to take over the city and we're not going to get it back and you are a wanted woman. They, they will kill you if they see you, um, because she had been spying for them. Um, so she had to leave her precious mountain village that she loved and had lived in for so many years. So she left. She, um, as she was leaving, she barely made it out. She had to go out through the gate of the dead, which is exactly what it sounds like. So it's a gate where they threw the dead bodies out, So she she went out through the gate of the dead, and then um, when the Japanese saw her, very much alive, running across the field, they started shooting at her, of course, and she had the presence of mind to uh, fall down on the ground. She took off her heavily padded Chinese jacket and then rolled under a bush, and so they kept shooting at her jacket, and then she was able to escape. Um, So pretty smart, I think. Um, So she escaped, and she made it to where her children were, Mr. Liu had still not come back, so um, her choice was to either leave by herself. Um, she's still a British citizen, so she could have just left the country at that point, um, or to take the children over the mountains to the orphanage. So she would not leave the children. Um, I, don't, I forgot if I said this, but 100 more children had come during the time that Mr. Liu had left. So another 100 children. So she decided she was going to take these children over the mountains herself. Everyone told her she was crazy. They were between 3 and 16 years old. 100 kids over the mountains. Um, so, she, just, she decided she was going to do it. Um, so, so they, they went, and after, I think it was 12 days, um, they, they had no blankets, so it was cold. They had no food, so they were just begging for food. Can you imagine begging for food for 100 children as you're going <coughs> in the middle of a war where food is really scarce? Um, so, th- they went for 12 days, and then they hit the Yellow River. Um, when they hit the Yellow River... Um, they, they couldn't cross, the boats had already been pushed over to the other side and they couldn't cross, so Gladys spent a night um, where she did not sleep, She's just worrying and praying, praying and worrying all night long because what are you going to do with these hundred kids and the Japanese right behind you basically, um, so then at dawn when she woke up um, I don't remember if there's a slide for this, can you, oh wait there's not, okay So at dawn, when she woke up, one of the teenage girls, who was about 13, came to her and she said, Do you remember when God called Moses and took the children of Israel across the Red Sea safely? Gladys nodded. Well, do you believe it? the girl asked. Of course I do, Gladys exclaimed. Well, why don't we go across? the girl said simply. Gladys replied, I'm not Moses to which the girl quickly retorted, But Jehovah is still God. So Gladys was really humbled by this little girl's faith. Um, so she gathered the older children, and they prayed together that God would provide a way across this river. And right when they finished praying, they looked up, and there was a general from the Chinese Nationalist Army. And so he was like, What are you doing, you crazy woman? do um, <laughs> <so, laughs> so, you know the Japanese are coming? So... Um, so yeah, he called the boat over and, and they were able to cross the river. So um so huge, huge success. She got the, the hundred children across the river, but they still had to go a little further to Sion, which is the next town with the orphanage, um, and all the trains were stopped except for one coal train. Um so they but the Japanese would shoot from across the river at the coal train. So the conductor told her, Your kids have to be super quiet. A hundred children. Three to 16 years old cannot say anything or the Japanese will start shooting. So Gladys and the older kids came up with this plan. So what they did is they had everyone go to sleep, and then they took the little ones, and then they put them on top of the lumps of coal in the train, and just asleep and just put them there. And then the train took off and they made it to the next town safely. The kids woke up and they're like, oh what happened? We're all like covered with dust. And then laughing, they had no clue. They had just escaped another near-death experience. So it just reminds me of 101 Dalvatians when they're all like all the little puppies or yeah. so. <clears throat> so she she finally gets there. And she gets her orphans safely placed in orphanages or houses and stuff. And Gladys, so determined to get the gospel out, she just turns around and goes into the next village. Okay, So she gets to the next village and collapses. Um, And then they took her to the hospital. Um, And I'm going to read this list because I can't remember everything that was wrong with her. But she had pneumonia. She had typhus. She had relapsing fever. She was suffering from malnutrition and, of course, utter exhaustion. So during this time, there was a point where... They thought she was going to die. Um, and then all of a sudden, she snapped awake. She sang a hymn and then preached a sermon on the prodigal son. So <laughs> um, this woman, the gospel was just always, always on her lips. Um, so she ended up living. But for the next couple years, they were kind of hazy for her. because And she never fully recovered from all that um, her body had suffered during that time. Um, so now... Um, She she does end up going out sharing the gospel again. But before I tell you about that, I want to tell you one story about just one of her sons. Um, So I'll probably say his name wrong, but his name was Chu In I think. And his dad had been a pastor, but his dad had been killed by the Japanese, and so he'd lived with Gladys for about three years before they crossed the mountains together. And then um, he had gotten placed in a home with a doctor, and he had been studying under that doctor. And so one day, he, he comes back to visit Gladys during Chinese New Year, which is the big, like, like our Christmas for Chinese. So he comes back to visit her, and um, <clears throat> he tells her um, that he is going back to Yangcheng, which is the place that they had left. Um, so the Japanese, I think, had gone by then, but the communists were now in charge. And so Gladys, like any mother, says, no way, you're not going back there, it's too dangerous. So he leaves and goes back to study under the doctor, and then he comes back again about three months later, and uh, they have the following exchange. <clears throat> so he, well, first he tells her again, I'm, I'm going, mother, I'm going. And then she says, "Chu-in, we settled all that when you were here at New Year's. You settled it, Ma. It was you who talked. If you remember, I said nothing. Maybe that is so, but that does not alter the fact that you cannot go. Ma, do you remember what it felt like when you knew God wanted you to go to China? Of course, but you can know nothing of that. I do, because God has spoken to me in the same way. He told me I must go back to Yangchung. He has worked for me there. <clears throat> so Gladys was speechless, and she felt like, I have to honor her. Honor my son and honor that the Lord has spoken to him. So she started to pray. And she prayed a very natural prayer. She prayed um, that he would get some shoes. He had no shoes. Okay, so back over the mountain, no shoes. Um, And she prayed for a new pair of pants for him. He only had one pair of pants and they were old and about to fall apart. So she's praying these prayers. God doesn't answer. And so then he comes to her and he says, Mother, why are you praying for things that I don't need? Um, I really need this thing. It's called a stethoscope. Um, and so she's, she, she had no clue what a stethoscope even was. Um, but she was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll pray for that. So she starts praying for a stethoscope. And then about a week later, she was just walking around town, and she met this woman who was a refugee to the city as well, and she invited her back to her house for tea. And so through the course of having tea, she, she tells her that she had this very precious box that she had carried across the mountains with her, and it was for a foreigner like Gladys um, who had disappeared during the war. So she had this precious box. So then Gladys is like, well you know, would you give me that box? <laughs> um, so a little sketchy here, but what she does is she, she tells her that she's the, she's the woman's fifth cousin, which apparently is like the Chinese term for everyone that has the same last name. So because, then, then the woman was like, well, you kind of look like her, because they were both foreigners. So she's like, okay, you can have the box. So she, she opens the box, and inside, amongst like the old food and clothes and stuff, there's a stethoscope, yes, so Chu-in was thrilled and uh, he took off um, and went back, and she, she never heard from him again um, but she did hear about him, so sometime after that she met a man who was from Chung and uh, she, she met him and he came to her and said, I want to know about Jesus, and she then Gladys says um, sorry, I have to find the, the script Um, She's like, well, how do you know uh, anything about Jesus? And he says, all I know is that if you have this gospel, you have peace and joy in your heart. But how did you know that? Where I come from, I have watched nine people being baptized in the river. When I asked how they had the courage to do this, when it was forbidden by the communists, they said it was because they had Christ in their hearts. But how did they know of baptism if no one is preaching? Because there is a wise young man who has a curious instrument with which he listens and knows all that is inside. He told them about Jesus. So she knew for sure that uh, that that was her son um, and that he was was preaching and seeing people um, come to know the Lord. And that reminds me of the words from Paul um, in Romans. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So this was true of Paul, this was true of Gladys, and this was true of her son, too. So after this time, when Gladys got a little better, she decided to go further and further west. Um, And as she was going out west, she um, got asked to speak at a missions conference about pioneer work. Um, And so she got to the conference, and then she relapsed again and was really sick, and she couldn't speak at the conference. But one day, she she heard something going on in another room, so she crawled out of bed and went into the room, and she saw a curious sight. There was a bunch of Chinese students, and they were covering their eyes and then just pointing at a place on a map. And then the group would pray for whatever village or whatever town that the other student had pointed to. So they had been doing this where they, were, they felt like God had put on their heart the further west part of China where people didn't know Jesus. And so they were just pointing and praying. So then one day, uh, Gladys, Gladys decides, well, or she decided to ask them, is anyone going to this place? And they said no, so then Gladys said, okay, well, I'll go. So she had just been, you know, in bed, sick and whatever, but she decides to go. So she goes by herself, again, place she's never been, um, and she found guides to take her from village to village, um, and she continued sharing about Christ um, from village to village. And then she got to this one city where they said, this is the end. You can go no further. She was like, this is not the end of the world. I can go further. So she is like begging people to go with her. Finally, she convinced this doctor to go with her. So he went with her, and everywhere they went, they met people, and they had never heard the name of Jesus at all. So they continued to preach about about Jesus as they went. Um, and then one day they reached a place where they could find no people whatsoever, so they just sat down in this field and thought, maybe we really have reached the end of the world, so yeah, so they sat there, and they decided, oh, we're, we're just going to pray, so she and the doctor, they prayed together, they had no clue what they were going to eat for that night, where they were going to sleep, so they prayed about that, and then also prayed that God would miraculously lead them to someone else, um, so they're, they're praying, and then they decided to sing a hymn, and then here comes this man over the mountain. And he turned out to be a Tibetan lama priest. Um, and even though they're supposed to have nothing to do with women, he invited both Gladys and the doctor back to their lamasery. So they, they, Gladys was a little skeptical at first, but then he said, we, we need to hear about the God who loves. Um, and so she, she went with him, also with the doctor. So, um, so when they got there... They, um, they, they were told, we've waited a long time for you. We've waited a really long time for you to tell us about this God who loves. Um, so it had, it had come out that the priest would um, collect licorice herbs, and then they would go into the city once a year and sell them. And so one day they had gone into the city, and someone handed them a tract. It was just a simple tract that was John 3.16, For God so loved the world. And, uh, they, they didn't know really, they had never heard about a God who loved. So they kept that and all the priests in the lamasery read it. The head lama he kept that and he had it in his little room where he stayed or whatever. <clears throat> and they were just waiting, waiting to hear about this God who loved. So every year they would go down and they would ask everyone. No one had anything to tell them. And so then one day one of the, the priests said, I, you know, I'm going to go on a mission. I'm going to go on a pilgrimage and find out. So he left and he was not going to come back until he found something out. So he left and traveled and traveled. And he finally found a China Inland Mission where they gave him a copy of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which he brought back, the, the precious bits of the Bible, All the priests read it, and they still didn't really understand everything. Um, But at the end of Matthew, there's that verse that Rudy, I think, alluded to earlier, quoted, um, Go into all the nations um, making disciples. Go into all the world making disciples of all the nations. So they knew someday someone is going to obey this verse, and they're going to come to us. So they were waiting all that time for Gladys and this doctor to come. So they stayed there about a week, stayed up all night, Um, And all day talking with these priests, sharing with them the gospel. So believe it or not, there are still people like this in the world today who have not heard the name of Jesus. So um, when you came in, Luke or Ivy should have given you one of these cards um, about an unreached people group. So um, one of the things on the comment card that you'll have a choice of doing is just to commit to pray for whatever, they're all different, so whatever people group that you got, just to commit to pray for them. Um, and it may be that the Lord will send you to a people group like this, like Gladys, or it may be that you'll be like those college students that were just pointing at the map and praying. So maybe that's what, what God will have for you. Okay, don't worry, we're, we're almost done. Okay, so when uh, Gladys returned, she told the college students, of course, they were thrilled to hear that their prayers had been answered. And then she moved on to another city. And when she got there, she found out that there were tons of Christians in that city, tons of Christians, tons of churches. She had no clue why God had brought her there. And then um, she heard about a place where no one knew about Jesus. So, of course, her ears perked up, and she wanted to know what that place was. turned out that that place was a prison. Um, it was the second largest prison in China at the time. And um, these men were talking about how uh, the prisoners didn't know Jesus. So then Gladys decides, I, I'm going to go talk to those, so, those people. So she went and met with the governor. And in her determined way, she had this conversation with him. Um, she says, would you allow me to come into your prison and preach about Jesus to your prisoners? And the governor says, And what do you intend to do if I allow you to talk to the men? I intend to alter your prison. Madam, I have been governor for five years, and I have not altered it to the slightest degree. But I have Jesus Christ. It is he who can bring about the alteration. So, Gladys spoke really boldly to the governor, but then when she got in there, she's faced with thousands and thousands of... Murder, murderers and thieves, and um, she she 's so small that they had to build a little stand for her to stand on so that people could see her and she 's like shaking, sharing the gospel with these men while they swore at her while they 're you know saying all sorts of horrible things to her she 's up there preaching the gospel, so it was very much the same so every day she 'd go there she 'd preach, nothing much would happen every night she would walk with um a Christian leper that she knew, and they would pray together. Um, at this time, she was also working in a leper colony, and so um, she would go there, preach. The lepers would pray, um, and then she would pray with the lepers together, and she just continued to do this. So, over the course of time, a few of the men came to know the Lord, and then over the course of a few more months, um, <clears throat> of a few more months, then forty men came to know the Lord. So I don't know about you, but a few months and 40 people coming to know the Lord, I'd consider that a huge success, um, but not for Gladys, because 40 men amongst thousands and thousands of prisoners doesn't really change the culture of the prison, and she, she felt like God wanted to change the culture of the prison, and so they continued to pray. Those 40 men started sharing their testimonies as well with Gladys up front, um, but nothing happened. And uh, then one day, she had finished preaching, and then the men are being led back to their cells. um, And as they were passing, Gladys felt this prompting from the Lord. Um, And so she she just felt like the Lord really wanted her to talk to this one particular prisoner. He was a murderer, and she had tried talking to him before. And he just swore at her and literally spoke spat on her okay so she was like no way lord i can't i can't do this this man doesn't want to listen to me um and on top of that there's a rule in the prison that you're not supposed to talk as the men are passing by um and i just hear in that like you know just the excuses we make when god prompts us to do something and we we make our little excuses um but gladys was excessively feisty evan i see you smiling um and so god prompted her again Right as this prisoner was walking by, and so she she responded to his prompting and she touched the man's shoulder and then she said, "Oh, aren't you so miserable?" And I don't know about you, but that would not have been my opening line. <laughs> so, so of course, like he just was like, "What? Of course I'm miserable. I'm in prison." And he swore at her again and pushed her hand off his shoulder and kept going. Um, so. Then she went home, and as she went home, she realized something. She realized that in China at that time, it was this unwritten rule that you never, ever, as a woman, touch a man in public. And not only had she touched a man in public, she had touched a murderer in public. It was It's like she lost her credibility by doing that. So she's walking home dejected and disappointed with what she did and, you know, Um, so it was just really sad but little did she know this conversation was going on in the prison so the murderer Mr. Sean he says did you see what she did so he's talking to one of the prisoners that happens to be a believer So um, so the prisoner that's a believer says what and then she touched me no that is a lie so he's like standing up for her honor no there's no way that she touched you and then the murderer says it is no lie she put her hand on my shoulder and again, he says, I cannot believe it. And then this other prisoner walks up, and he says, what he says is true. I saw her touch him. <clears throat> she touched me as if she loved me. And then the, the Christian says, perhaps she does love you. What? A clean woman like her love me, a murderer who has cursed her and spat at her? Yes, I believe she could, because she believes that God loves you, no matter what you have done. And with that, Mr. Shan gave his life to Christ. And then after that, the whole prison uh, was transformed. People just started, started coming to know the Lord. There are so many prisoners that came to know the Lord that it took three full days to baptize all of them. Um, So yeah, really, really crazy. Um, And so because the prison was so transformed, after that time Gladys got requests from other prisons saying, please, come and do whatever you did there at at our prison. And because the prison was so altered, the governor, who had been so resistant at first, um, he came to know the Lord too, just to see those types of men in that type of place completely transformed by Jesus. So he came to know the Lord too. Um, So there's so much more that I could tell you. There are so many more incredible stories of what the Lord did through this little woman's life, but we don't really have time. So I'm going to end with where we began with Ingrid Bergman, if you can still remember, the gorgeous actress who played Gladys in the movie. So. But eventually, Gladys had to leave because of the communists. She had to leave China. And so she had gone. She'd spent some time in England. She'd spent some time traveling. Um, but she she got as close to China as she could get. So she went back and opened an orphanage in Hong Kong. Then later, she opened an orphanage in Thailand. It was close to mainland China, I should say. Um, so at this time, she was living in Thailand and was working in an orphanage. And Ingrid Bergman um, decided she wanted to go see her. So she flew out to Thailand. Um, to meet Gladys, but unfortunately, a few days before she got there, Gladys got sick again, and she passed away, and she died. So it's said that Ingrid, when she got there, she wanted to see where Gladys had lived, and so she, she walked around Gladys' house, and when she got to where Gladys had slept, her bed, she knelt down by the bed, and she just wept and prayed that she was so unworthy to play a woman like Gladys. And so Gladys's coworker at the time who was helping her with the orphanage, came in um, and talked with Ingrid, shared the gospel with her, and Ingrid came to know the Lord. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, even in her death, Gladys's life inspired people to live for Jesus, And I really hope she's done so again today. And I'm going to leave you with a quote from Gladys and a verse and a prayer. So, so this is probably the most famous Gladys L-word quote. I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done for China. I don't know who it was. It must have been a man, a well-educated man. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. That's the generous thing. (laughs) Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys Elward. And God said, well, she's willing. Uh, So so you can go ahead to the next one. And so that just reminds me of this, this particular verse. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so, this little four foot, un, four foot ten, uneducated woman, but the Lord strengthened her to do great things for him. Um, so, rather than pray myself, um, I found this, this teaching that Gladys did where she prays. And so, I thought we would let Gladys pray over us. So, Mike, if you want to. Oh, God, give us visions. Make us to dream dreams that we may know something of Calvary, what it cost and a lost soul. That we may learn not only how to pray, but how to do, how to be, how to go and how to give.